All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Just after 3 o'clock on a lovely Tuesday afternoon. Nice to see a little bit of the uh, smoke slowly uh, clearing away. I know for uh, those of you with uh, asthma out there, just just think, like, and if you don't have asthma and you're like, oh, man, this is brutal. Imagine being the people that uh, have the fire that close to their house and just how awful uh, that would be if they even have a house remaining. So, uh, man, it would be great if we had some uh, rain, but still continue to be extremely diligent in uh, do not throw out any cigarette butts or anything else that can be uh, start a fire wherever it is. Obviously, you know, they banned uh, ATV use in a lot of different places, so... So I'll stick together because the last one we want is uh, more of this right now. This is the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. The one thing that you would like more of, I don't know any human being who's like, ah, I could probably use a few extra bucks here and there. Go to PlayAlberta.ca. Lotto 649. Check it out tonight. You draw. Hopefully uh, you have some luck. Nobody won the Lotto Max last night. So now Friday's draw is up to $50 million. PlayAlberta.ca. We uh, welcome to the show uh, a gentleman who is unable to uh, drain his half-court shot. Jason Strudwick joins us. Strudy, how you doing? Good, buddy. Really good, actually. What's going on today? Oh, well, I want to start. We'll get to the orders in a second. But did you happen to watch the Denver Lakers game last night? <laughs> I watched some. I didn't see what. Yeah, I saw some of it. Not all of it. I'm not going to lie. Tapped out early. Buddy, Nikola Jokic was... Yeah unbelievable in the first half 
It was a man, and like his whole game, he's the first player since in the shot clock era since 1955 to have more than 30 points, more than 20 rebounds, and more than 10 assists. Like he was dishing, he was like the. Did you see the three pointer? Thought it was was Steph Curry on a fallaway three pointer, man. Oh, it was that was and it was a great game. I give the Lakers a lot of credit. They came back. I thought it was over. Uh, It was an entertaining game, but man, uh, Jokic was like he was toying with them at times. You know, it's it's funny. You you look at him, and he doesn't look athletic. You know, you see the other guys running around out there, like LeBron and uh, you know Murray, and those guys are so athletic. And you see him, like he's not the most graceful of athletes, but he's so smart and so effective. You know, like can can he even dunk? You know, I I don't think he even dunked that guy. So pretty crazy to see that he can do it. And he's just so smart. And he's competitive. Like you saw the picky through whether it was a you know was it was it uh, or the defensive uh, foul was was it a foul or not? I mean, whatever. He just he's just timely and smart with the way he works, and he's so much fun to watch. He's just a a real treat. Oh, he's and hey, Jamal Murray, the Canadian. He, I thought he was quite well. Now he got into foul trouble late, so he couldn't defend as he wanted. And uh, the, wisely, the Lakers were going after him then because of the uh, the foul trouble. That's that's the one thing I think Denver. Like, hey, the one thing the Lakers do well is they get to the line. Um, although not as much as, as as they did against the Warriors, but uh, I think Denver they'll have to be more cautious because I think it's clear that the Lakers were like, hey, we want to try to get Murray and Jokic in, in foul trouble, and that'll be a huge thing for them. So uh, game one, I loved it. I can't wait for game two. Honestly, when that game was over, I was just like, oh, when is game two? So it'll be good. Um, the other thing that I think is good, Struddy, as uh, after listening to and and. Watching it again, uh, you know, wrote an article about it that's coming out uh, right away at Oders Nation about how I firmly believe, Struds, that this loss to Vegas might turn out to be the best thing for, like, best thing might be too harsh. Um, like, the biggest transition for the mindset of the star players in Edmonton and the entire organization. You know, when you have Leon Dreisaitl saying, hey, we got to quit giving up uh, easy goals. Matthias Ekholm is like, we have to be comfortable that it's, you know, a low-scoring game and win that way. And, and you know, when you look at the owners, every game they won, they scored at least four-plus goals. Now, they did limit Vegas to one goal apiece in, in those two. But you, you look in, and they sco- Edmonton scored three or more goals uh, in three of their losses. Like, including a four-goal game. So it wasn't like offense was their issue. It's being defense. We've known that for a while. They cleared it up in the second half, but then it kind of came back in the playoffs. And Ken Holland said, defense, anybody can play defense. It's just commitment, desire, and a willingness to do it. And I think the pain of this loss, Dreddy, because, I don't know, you you played. It just seems like the players were more gutted by this mm-hmm. loss than they were last year against Colorado. I think you nailed it, man. And I, and I, you know, your questions during the press conference, I know they revolved a bit around it to both, not a bit, it was around, um, around it to both Jay and, and Woodcroft and what I, or Jay and, uh, Ken Holland. And I, I, you know, it's something I've been, I've been knocking on this door for, I don't know, for it feels like years about the defensive play. And, you know, can you, can you not outscore your problems? I think we know now the answer is you can't. Not against good teams, right? Or, or, and in, as, as Ken Holland calls it, a two week tournament against a really good team, it's it's difficult to do it. It's not impossible. Like, you know, the Oilers could have played again, you know, the Vegas again for two weeks, and they could have beat them. But it just, why take that chance? Why take that chance? So, I, you know, Jay kind of answered it and talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the way that they 
you know, they want to do it and stuff. But I believe firmly, and, and the more I think about it, they need to have an action plan. I think that's what business people call it. What's your action plan? Because, yeah. you know, thoughts and prayers, Greg's, oh, they've, they've had thoughts and prayers. Like yeah. thoughts and prayers don't cut it anymore, right? There needs to be a clear action plan. What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Are we all on board? And it has to be something that is from the grassroots. It is from... Connor Leon, and, and not that I'm picking up, but as the leaders of the team, right through to whoever comes in next, if Dylan Holloway's there, and everyone is committed to it. I think they've got to decide what they want to to look like. Like, so, you know, how are we going to defend? And there's not that many different ways to defend. Like, let's, you know, there's some core principles you have, um, and you could tweak it a bit. You know, Ken talked a little bit about tweaking it. You can tweak it a bit. But at the end of the day, if you're not in the right place, it doesn't matter what system you're playing. You're in the wrong place. So that that, that, that core thing, and then what is our goal? Like, what what is a number we want to get to, right? Of of And maybe you can label them earned goal versus unearned goals against. And you can say, okay, guys, like every five-game segment, I went through it, you know, or whoever will send Dave Manson will go through and look at all their goals, and we'll just talk five-on-five because five, I think the power play and penalty kill are something different. But five-on-five, five, how many earned goals and, and, and unearned goals did we have last year? Well, let's try to reduce that by whatever. That'll put us in this bracket. Like, they're, they're, you're, you're getting to the point where you're just fine-tuning it. You know, you're, you're getting – it's it's like the last 10 meters of a 100-meter race, and they need to get this right. But like I said, the thoughts and prayers – that's it's over like that. There's no more, you know, just I think there's been a lot of good talk about it. You know, oh, we're going to be better and we're, we got to work at it. But I don't think until this this loss, this gut wrenching loss where they know they were as good as Vegas um, and Vegas was better. Vegas is a better team. Ken Holland said it. the owners are as good as them. But for this, Vegas is better. So, Greg's, I want to hear – not I – I need a action plan if I'm on that team. And I honestly think it should come from the players. I think the players have to, to sit down and say, guys, we, we know what we have to fix. And go talk to, to, to uh, Jay and say, what are we going to do? Like, let's figure that we got all summer. But this summer is going to go by quick. You know, you, boom, a month, you got the draft. Boom, you got free agency. Boom, it's August, you're back. Bang, the season starts in October. So decide now and get everyone on. Because it's not about beating guys up. Oh, Gregor, your show was brutal yesterday. You sucked. It's like, hey, man, these are the things we want to work on. Or Strudwick, like, this is what we got to work on. Like, just be honest and, and work together. Because Jay said that also. We're all in this together. So I've given a lot of thought, man, to this. And I... I what they if they think they can win next year by doing the same thing with and, and I'm not talking personnel, just the same players, they will not get it done. Something has to change. There has to be a change of attitude towards defending through the whole organization, coaches, players, everybody, and there has to be an action plan. Oh, without question, and I, I, I kind of sense from the players that there is. Right, but you're right. Like you've got okay. What does this mean? And and here's a few things that I think it means. Like I, you know, I I, I heard people, you know, they point out the Fogel nurse. Warren Fogel was really good the majority of the playoffs. I'm not picking out one mistake from Fogel because unfortunately, in the game against Vegas, it was the order's top six who got scored on way too much. Right, and there's a few things at play here. Uh, and and the, and the one guy who who I'm pretty confident in the most that will will, uh, will improve the small, subtle details is Leon Dreisaitl. He holds him accountable to a higher standard than very, like, 
Leon drives out and score a hat trick, and be like, "Yeah, yeah, I didn't have a good game." And 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 he doesn't just say that as window dressing. He firmly believes it. He has, you know, I've had conversations with him about, you know, like his dad, and you know, he scored fifty goals. He's like, "Yeah, you know, dad, he's, you know, his dad just that's how he was raised. Like, it's yeah, it's good, but hey, you can do this better." And. That's a guy you watch. I don't think you'll see Leon Dreisaitl, the goal in Vegas. He had the chance to, to skate the puck out, Strutty, and he tried to, to reverse pass behind him. Vegas knocked yeah. it down. 15 seconds later, it's in the back of the net. And he's a guy who can handle the puck anywhere. And so those are just small little details that I think will be like, I'm not doing that. right? I don't need to do with the backhand pass. I can do it in the offensive zone. And if, and if it turns over, oh, well, it's in the offensive zone. Do it in the defensive zone, it can kill you. And so... I, I just look at, you know, your best players, Edmonton's best players are still their best players, but at times the the major gaffes sometimes happen by them more because they're trying to make plays, and I get 100%. it. Yeah. But you have to know when to try to make those risky plays. Well, game management, man. How many times have I yeah. used that saying on here? I've, I've said more dumb things than I've – less, sorry, I've said less dumb things on the show than I've said game management. I've been talking about it all year, and so you're right. The bigger it, – it looks like the, the, the elite players make more mistakes because they have the puck on their stick more often. But defensively, you can still be in the right place, right? And I'm not just – I don't want this to become about Leon and Connor. It's not just about them. But I no. think what, what they need to do is to, to – um, it has to be like a collaborative approach. Like, you know, you talk a little bit about, uh, or, or what was it Ken Holland said, you know, I've got guys who want to get back in the gym. And I, and I love that. Like, I think that's great. But I don't feel that this team was not in good enough shape, right? The Dallas Akins were going to yes. drink water and carry wood or whatever the number is. Like, that. I don't think that was the issue, right? I don't, I don't feel that this team was out-hustled or out-muscled or out-conditioned, right? So I understand getting back in there. So, like, that's where it's kind of just... It, not that that's hollow, but you're, you're already at a level that's good enough conditioning, right? So let's get to what we really can dial down and really get detailed. So, you know what? It's just it's not that it's one guy. It's just over the whole course of the year, can we get it ready? And it can't start game 83. It's got to start your first exhibition game and an attitude, quite frankly, going into training camp. I'd even if I was If I was the coach of this team, I sit down with my assistants, like I said, I go through every five-on-five goal, and if someone go through them, earn, unearn, go through it all. Send those stats out to the players, just so you know this is what happened. Uh, and then have an action plan, send the guys an email before the season, or call them and say, guys, this is what we're working on. We're all going to be held to a higher standard, everybody, everyone on the team. And we're going to go through it. We're going to talk about it. We might every ten games, we might just have a meeting. Whether we've won ten nothing or we or we went zero and ten, we're going to sit down. And we're going to talk about. It. Look, this is what we are like. Just so every player knows the details every single time uh, through it, because it's everybody. It's not everyone had their their and and, and everybody's going to on a team has had their off moments. But if every player can erase. Let's say even just two over the course of the year, two gaffes, um, and we'll keep the goalies out of this. So that is what? That's 18. That's 36 goals against that come off five on five. Now, that's quite an improvement, and that would take the Oilers, you know, kind of in, into a threshold that is, you know, quite a ways down from where they are now. And, I'm, and that might be a little optimistic, but just think about it, guys. It's only two each. It's two each. It's not that many to, 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 to be better. That's a, what is that, a percentage? That's a very small percentage improvement. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's going to be. I'm fascinated to see where it changes, and because well, you know, Stratty, I've I've said well, the first three months of the year, the orders were in Santa Claus mode far too often, and I talked about it. Like, and and the thing is, so because I see a lot of people, yeah, but the orders they weren't bad five on five. They're underlying numbers. I think you're missing the point. 
No one's no one's saying the orders were bad overall five on five. They ended up being bad because they give too many goals. And the underlying numbers, all that does is back it up. All that's doing is backing it up. Here they are, long stretches, control the game. Good. Oh, we're going to make a mistake. Well, let's make it a 10-bell mistake and make an right. easier goal for the opposition. How many easy goals did the orders get in the playoffs? How many? Yeah. Not many? A few, sure, but not many against Vegas. Right? That's the difference. Edmonton in the second period. Look at game six. Dominated the first period, dominated the third period. They lost the game in the second period. That's just a fact. Right now, they couldn't score in the third, but that and Vegas was sitting back, but they were all over in the third, and they're up two to one in the first. They lost the game in the second period. They lost game five in the second period. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the whole game. They're killing themselves in small doses, and they do it with glaring error. So, if if you're only looking at the underlying numbers, you're missing the actual big picture. All the underlying numbers are doing is is backing what my point is: is they keep giving up the easy goal. Thus, because I don't, you can have twenty more shots than the other team. If they don't result yeah. in goals, who cares, right? And so, if you only give up twenty-two shots. But guess what? You give up six grade A chances, and three of them are based on terrible giveaways. Well, now you're making life infinitely harder on yourself, right? Like I know, well, how many shots were there? I'm Jay Woodcroft. I know how many shots there were. I'd count the scoreboard. Look at how many glaring errors that were made. Compare those to Vegas. That was the difference in the game. Not how many shots you had. The difference was a you couldn't finish, but b you gifted too many goals. It was just how, it, and and that was an issue. They they erased it down the stretch. But it came back again in the playoffs. And I think it's good that it came back because I, I think it teaches them that you can't get away with it. Right. And even Zach Hyman yeah. said they got to be more than a second half team. Right. You, because I would have got them home ice advantage and maybe that would have been the difference. And, and just quickly, I think like Ken Holland said today, under pressure. He used those words under pressure. So, you know, you can take a large sample and say, okay, well, you know, we were good for this amount of time. But when you need to be making a play or making the right play under pressure, at a critical moment, are you sure the Oilers are going to do it? I wasn't sure. I wasn't convinced because we didn't see it consistently over a year. That's why you're going to see it from game one to 82. And there'll be mistakes, but if you can be consistent in it, you feel more comfortable that when under pressure, you'll do the right thing. And I think that's the difference. That's, that's the details that we're talking about. Quick break. We'll return on Empathy Sports Theater, TSN 1260. Jason Greger, Jason Strawbrick, Connor Halley. Uh, when we come back... Is it the end? Is it finally the end of the Arizona Coyotes? We'll discuss next with Craig Morgan on the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on at the Sports Theater, TSN 1260. Jason Gregor, Jason Strudwick with you. Lovely Tuesday. It's time to go around the NHL, brought to you by... McDonald's, and uh, it's your destination for chill summer treats. Is McDonald's. All the favorites you crave. Treat yourself to a cone for only $1 plus tax. Exclusively on the McDonald's app all summer long. Ooh, I love a good cone. Nice. Get it right now at McDonald's. And, of course, uh, with the NHL playoffs on hold until tomorrow, there was a huge story in the NHL uh, last night. And unfortunately, it did not go the way of uh, Coyotes fans as it ended up being a no vote for them having a facility in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, 
It's kind of odd when you when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, but uh, Craig Morgan, who's been covering that um, from uh, Phoenix Sports, he's a beat reporter for the Coyotes, uh, joins us. Uh, Craig, I, I I read an article. You know, Frank Cervelli had put out that um, you know the the no vote was like they really pushed this. They wanted people to vote no. They they weren't for this. They, it was almost like a campaign. They spent uh, lots of monies, something like eight times more than, than the yes vote uh, to get it, and ultimately they won. Uh, I think the highest was 44% in any of the three categories. Um, ultimately, why why was this a, a no vote? What was the big reason why they were opposed to this? Well, that's a complex answer. Um, uh, a, good no, a, a good portion of it is misinformation. There was a lot of it in this campaign, and that's that's how politics are apparently these days. You can you can feed <laughs> on fear. I mean, it, and listen, they they played on Alex Morello's missteps early as an owner with, of the Coyotes. They talked about him not paying his bills. They, they basically painted him as a corrupt billionaire, and that's a, an easy narrative to paint. Um, they, they raised questions about the site itself, saying there was a better deal out there, which is easy to say when you don't actually provide any details. I mean, the, the dump site's been sitting there for 70 years, and every mayor and former mayor and council member that I've talked to said there's not a better deal out there. This was the only chance we were going to have to have someone clean it up for us, which is a massive cost. But they were effective in their messaging. They ran a really good campaign. Uh, there were there were unions backing the no campaign, and they hired the right people, very savvy political strategists. Uh, on the flip side, like you said, they outspent the Coyotes dramatically, and the Coyotes made a lot of mistakes with their campaign. There were Tempe City staffers complaining that it took them a long time just to get the thing launched. So the other campaign had a two-month head start on them. Some of their messaging wasn't effective, um, and... I just, I guess I don't understand in the final analysis when you look at all that was at stake for Alex Morello in terms of p- potential revenue from this project, why they didn't go all in and spend as much as it took to win this election. That will be one of the great mysteries that we'll try to unravel over the coming weeks. Craig, I, I had read that the, one of the issues was that people, the flight path, they didn't want to have residences underneath the flight path. Was that, is that a, like accurate? Is that a concern by? I guess those that might live into those or move into those residences. It's a complete red herring. It's the the, the type of residences that the Coyotes wanted to build there were were approved. They they are approved. They're allowed within the intergovernmental agreement between the city of Phoenix and the city of Tempe. The city of Phoenix basically wanted to rip that IG up and and start anew, um, and they wanted license to expand their own you know expand Sky Harbor Airport. But if you look at the legal language, they didn't have a case there, but they were using that. You know, they were they actually sent out flyers to residents of other neighborhoods saying, oh, flights could be rerouted over your house if these residences go in, which, of course, they couldn't decide. The FAA is the only one that can decide that. But again, they play dirty. They, they use scare tactics and that's politics. And it, it ended up winning in the end. So what's the next step here, Craig? Um I just don't see how there's a possibility. Uh, like it doesn't seem like there was a plan B. So what's next for the Coyotes? Is relocation the most likely scenario? Well, you know, it's funny. When I walked out of, I, I went to the uh, headquarters for the what was supposed to be a celebration party because they really thought that they were going to win that election, which tells you how out of touch they were with the electorate and how bad their polling was. Um, but I walked out of there thinking, okay, this this was clearly the best option available. And now that this has fallen through dramatically, they've been kicked out of Glendale, there's really not a building that will take them, that will work for them. Even the Suns Arena, they can't be a tenant in there. They left that reason, 
left that arena for the same reason. They just couldn't get the revenue out of it. So I walked out of that building last night thinking, this really feels like the end. And then uh, I started having some conversations with various sources. I'm sorry I can't name those, but very important sources. And I now don't think that the Coyotes staying in Arizona is a impossibility. I still think there's a path forward here. I outlined some of the possible possibilities, some of the sites that they could be looking at in a story that I published today. All of those sites have significant issues, but the biggest thing that I come back to is they're already slated to play three more years at Mullet Arena, which has obvious drawbacks in terms of revenue. Any deal that they strike for a, a new site is going to take some time to put together. I just can't envision the Board of Governors or the NHLPA signing off and saying, yeah, go ahead and play at Mullet for five more years. That's, they're already unhappy with the situation. So when I look at those other potential sites, can they get it done within the time frame that they had originally planned for this one? Well, maybe because they had to spend about eight months cleaning up this site, they wouldn't have to do that on a new site. But they're still under the gun here in terms of timing, even if, you know, even if they have other options, they, they still have to keep to a, a very tight timeline here if there is going to be a path forward in Arizona. Craig, what about as far as, you know, the team is now in limbo. You know, how hard is it for the team to, uh, you know, now luckily the rink is small, but like, you know, acquire, or get season ticket holders, which I know it's small rink, so maybe that's off the table, but, you know, bring in players or, or get sponsors. Like, it just feels like if I'm a local business, why am I going to invest in something that could leave, you know, who knows, next September or in three years? Like, what, how do they, how do they deal with that part of it, away from like the business side and, and, and drawing players in? Yeah, that's a, that's a real challenge on the corporate side because you're absolutely right. Why would anybody commit to a team that they don't even know is going to be here in a few years? I, I don't know how they manage that. And, and, and maybe they go on short-term deals. I, I just don't know. That's a major challenge for them. A lot of revenue, a lot of the revenue streams are a major challenge for the Coyotes right now. They're in, they're in a tough situation. As far as acquiring players, though, when you look at where they are in the rebuild, honestly, it doesn't really matter. They're not looking for to sign the type of players that are going to take them to uh, you know playoff contender status yet. They're not ready to do that yet where they are in their rebuild. You look at the players they brought in last year, guys like Nick Bugstad, those are guys that are just looking for NHL jobs, and there's always going to be those guys around that are looking for NHL jobs. So I don't think it's going to be a problem filling the roster. Um, it may become a problem a little down the line. And, and the other side of this with players is like, when you look at a draft pick like Logan Cooley, who's deciding whether to go back to Minnesota or turn pro. Why on earth would Logan Cooley turn pro now? Why would he sign his ELC to play three years at Mullet Arena with a team that's in limbo? Those those are the impacts that I see more on the player side. Craig Morgan joins us. I'm the sports leader, TSN 1260, a beat reporter out of uh, Arizona. The uh, no vote won yesterday, so no arena will be built in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, Craig, I, in your conversations, like do the Coyotes, like I, I saw their obviously their owner uh, was was very distraught yesterday in the speech. Uh, obviously, I don't think they wanted this scenario. Um, like the NHL, I, I assume a decision is going to have to be made by the like before the draft, even possibly. You know, if you're going to relocate, and because you know Houston has an arena, KC has an arena, heck, Quebec City does. Although I don't think they want to go east because that really screws up the. Uh, um, the the conferences or not, but do you have any idea on on how quickly a decision could be made here by the NHL? Well, the league and the team both confirmed today that 
the Coyotes will, in fact, be playing at Mullet Arena next season. So they'll definitely be in Arizona next season. Um, After that, I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is. It's it's hard to say because you don't even know which uh, potential sites they might be pursuing. Um, So it's it's really difficult to speculate on that now. But all we know right now is they will definitely be in Arizona next season. How did the fans that you got a chance to talk to take this? Like it's Oof. it's got to be so hard to to deal with this, like the ups and downs of it, and and try to be you know faithful of what's going on. Absolutely, and it's mostly downs. Let's be honest with it. This has been sure. a really tough team to to root for. Uh, they had the that three year run under Dave Tippett, where the final year of those three year playoffs uh, consecutive years, they went to the Western Conference Final, but. Look, looking past that, like really since, since the early years when they first arrived from Winnipeg, this team just hasn't had any success. And they've had all these off-ice troubles, just myriad off-ice troubles, whether it's ownership or relocation rumors or arena issues. It's really tough to be a fan. When I walked out last night when it, it really felt definitive, like the Coyotes were gone, I was talking to fans in the parking lot, and they're, they're literally sobbing. They're crying in front of me. It was really tough. It was a very emotional day for this market. I, this, this fan base takes a lot of hits. You know, there's, there's the jokes that you can always expect to see on Twitter, all, all three of their fans. Well, there, there's a thriving fan base here. They care. They may, they may be a little bit smaller, but they're very loyal, and they've been through hell and back and still stuck with this team. So it's been really tough to watch all of this impact on that fan base because they are loyal, and hockey is growing here. Look, you look at the USA Hockey numbers, they're they're always in the top five for growth of youth hockey. Um, you have a Division One college program here now at Arizona State. And, and I remember those early years when they played downtown, they actually drew well. So, so much of this just traces back to that decision to go to Glendale, to go west, far away from their fan base. A move that former owner Richard Burke said would never work, which is why he sold the team. And he was right. He, he thinks that everything that has happened to this team has been a product of that decision to go west. They, they had instable ownership because nobody could take the losses. They couldn't spend on the team, so the team was never very good. Everything followed from that bad decision, so they've been trying to correct it by getting in the right location, but then you have what happened last night. It was just another blow to an already beleaguered fan base. Well, Craig, uh, so we know the Coyotes will be there next season. Uh, beyond that, uh, who knows? Uh, I would think the NHL will want a resolution uh, at some point, um, maybe even before the start of this season. So uh, we will watch with interest. Appreciate your time. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. It's Craig Morgan uh, from Phoenix. writes for the Phoenix Sports. And as he said, you know what? Like For diehard fans, I know some. it's easy to say, ah, just get rid of them. I, I under, like Because that's the easy thing. You know why? Because you have no impact. It doesn't impact your life. Now imagine that the Edmonton Orders in uh, 1995-96, when fans were going to the games, and you're in a hockey-mad market, and you had a bunch of local owners who came together and basically helped save the team. And Gary Bettman, as much as you dislike him, Gary Bettman pushed to keep the team in Edmonton. I think because he, he's openly said he felt like maybe he didn't work as hard to keep the team in Winnipeg the first time, didn't want to make the same mistake. So I don't think anyone can say that the, that Bettman hasn't given Arizona every opportunity to try to have success there. Some would say maybe too much. But it is easy for people that aren't impacted by it to say just move the team. All right, so I'm cognizant of it. I just don't see how there's a resolution. And the other thing is I don't think the other owners of the league want it anymore. 
because right now Arizona, the players, yeah. it's, it's putting a severe drain on HR, which limits the salary cap going up. It had other teams having to help fund them. They don't want it anymore. Like at some point you need to be able to stand on your own two feet. And, and that's why I think ultimately they're going to have to relocate. And it's sore, and it sucks for the fans, Struddy. Yeah. But I, I don't see any other solution. You put it really well. Uh, but I, you know, I, I played there, like, as, as an opponent. I saw the empty buildings. I saw, like, just not a lot of action, not a lot of interest. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I think they had lots of chances. If I'm the NHL, I'm actively looking to move this team. And I think I'm being honest with that group and that fan base. It just, it's, you know, how much longer can you keep trying to make it work? You know, it's been, this hasn't been five years. You know, Craig just outlined, this has been years, pretty much the whole time it's been there. And yeah, it's a great place to live. So, you know, guys want to go play there. And I get it. Like, yeah, living in the sun is great, but really, like, it's not, I just don't see how it's viable anymore. Um, it's just you know so you got to find so let's let's assume and, and and Craig he he's dialed in so he said there's other potential spots okay so another potential spot how long does it take to get something on paper get it up get it approved can you do that all within three years maybe may you know probably you can but you know you still got to get an approval you got to find the money for it like all these things are just and if that falls through then you're like okay well now we'll move like I I don't know I. Honestly, Greg, I'm tired of it. I am just tired of it. I, I just think it's time to move um, somewhere else. I they didn't take that long with Atlanta. Did Atlanta get as many chances? I would suggest no. Yeah, well, that's that's totally fair. Quick break. Uh, we'll return. We'll get the struds on next on the Gregor Show presented by Play Alberta. I love this song, man. Keep it going a bit. Oh, starts to build up here. A little crescendo, Struddy. Oh, I can see why the Blues. No wonder they won. Does this song not get you fired up? Maybe that's what they're missing. The orders, we got to find a, a song. They do. We tried that a couple years ago. It's hard. I know. you got to find one, man. Killer. Good old school tune. I like it. Welcome back to the Gregor Show on Edmonton Sports. Hey, think about Positive Friday. we got a show, a song. People love it. Kills it every Friday. We get texts all the time about how uh, the Brass Bonanza gets them in a good mood. It's just how it works. Right? Uh, people like something that you can just gravitate to. It. There's no real reason for it. But, hey, if you, if, you, if you feel better, look better, play better. It's just how it goes. So we'll see. Now, not every team needs a song, but every time I hear that song, now it's like, hey, I like it. Guys, interesting interview, uh, the guys in Arizona. You mentioned that they're looking for other locations. How many other locations can there be? It's a fair question. Honestly, I, I don't know. I'd have to, to, to look into it. But what was interesting about that proposal was, like, it was a $2.1 billion project where the owner was paying $1.9 billion of it. it. It wasn't one where they're asking the taxpayers pay a lot of money. So it, it was kind of interesting as to, uh, you know, it sounds like they went through the voting and, you know, you had uh, lots of people 65 years of age or over who voted in it and said no. And, and historically in life, people don't like change. So, you know, there's some misinformation, and, hey, we're in the era of, uh, of new age misinformation, unfortunately. If there's one thing we could change in the world, I think that would be it. If there somehow could be a way to uh, limit the, the misinformation that gets spread wildly on lots of different topics in society, that would be wonderful. But, um, you know, so I don't – now, hey, maybe it's just one area. But – and the Coyotes, if, if you didn't take it serious enough, like it's kind of fitting to me in a way. So the Coyotes – 
basically cheaped out if so if they knew the opposition was putting that strong of a push and you're willing to pay 1.9 billion but you only paid 250 grand um, to push for this where the opposition paid two million I'm like well what are you doing? I like, maybe I'm wrong in there, Stratty, but doesn't that seem odd to you? It's like, this was the most important thing for them. Yeah. And they didn't push for it. Uh, they didn't match. Now, you want to call it hate, vitriol, whatever, of the opposition. So I'm like, well, so now you lost. And now what? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's it's disappointing for, for the fans that, that love the, the organization. I get it. And, I, I, hey, I don't like Gary Bettman for a lot of reasons. But I respect his willingness to want to give. He doesn't like moving teams just because. So no one can say he didn't give Arizona every opportunity. And so I just don't see how much longer. I really think the opposing owners and teams, and I know I've talked to a lot of players, they're just like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, they've they got a flat cap all the time, and you've got one organization that's that's sucking any benefit money you have to keep them afloat. It's, it's not helping. Well, let's just talk about if it's different. Let's say that, um, whatever, the Cleveland Browns also had to go play in, uh, like, a, a stadium the size of Clark here in Edmonton. Like, let's call it 7,500-seat uh, 7, stadium. How does that look as, an, as, a, as a league? Right? You have 31 teams that are doing it. Then you have this 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 team, Arizona, playing in a 5,000-seat arena. Like, yeah, it's cozy and people say it's fun to watch, but it, it, it I think it devalues the look of your league. I, I really do. And I you always got to guard the, w- the way it looks, the way that it feels. It's professional. And I'm sure there are like, I don't doubt that everyone in Arizona is trying their hardest to make it look good and professional, but you can only make 5,000 seats look like 5,000 seats, right? You can't put sugar packs in your socks to, to go from 5'11 to 6 feet. It is 5,000 square feet. So I, I don't know. I just feel like... It feels like this has been going on forever. And I will agree, Craig, I remember playing in the rink downtown in Arizona, and it was, or in downtown Phoenix, there was quite a few fans there, and it was good. Like, it wasn't a perfect setup. You know, the one end came over top of the uh, rink, but it was it was good. We stayed down there. It was good. And all of a sudden, Glendale, I remember the first time I went, like, where's Glendale? Like, it'd be like the owners putting their rink in Mournville. That's just, or even maybe further, just to give you a sense of where, of where how far away. It might even be further than that, actually. Maybe Rolly Hills, way out there, and um, it just didn't make sense. And and they, it's just never fit. So I know I get that there's fans in Arizona. I get that, but I don't know. I just feel like mismanagement. So I, I don't know. I I just saw one 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 guy who was it today? Steve was it Strickland that said that he'd heard Lake uh, Salt Lake City? And that yeah, well they don't have eyebrows. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't have a facility a- at all. Now, their owner, Strutty, their owner on social media was the one who put a lot of fuel on that fire by saying it's in motion when there was yeah. talks about somebody had responded, and so he responded to it. So that gets people all, like, ears perked up. Well, hey, it's the owner right. of the team, uh, of the Jazz, right? And so, you know what, there's another market where, like, if the NHL, you know, to me, it's why Kansas City makes way more sense than Houston. Right, they, they, you're not competing with a lot of other. Le- you come in there, you have a, like Vegas had a killer start because they had no competition, right? Like they were the first pro team. And, hey, it helps; they're good, no question. But that's really helped them, right? And so now they have a really good, solid base. And yes, the NFL's there now, and you know the NBA really wants to go there. But you've already got the the heart of of your diehard fan base, so that's good. Um, you go to KC, you got the Chiefs, 
and and that's unbelievable. But the Chiefs play well nine, ten home games, I guess, depending on playoffs. But they only play you know half the year, then they're done for you, and they only play on Sundays, the odd Monday, sure. You know what I mean? Like it's you. There could be room in that market for another pro sports team at all. The Chiefs are going to be number one, but there's nothing wrong with being number two. Yeah, you go to Houston, you might be like number four or five. So yeah, I. Uh, you know, KC that facility is unbelievable too. So I'll be, I'll be curious. The the Utah one definitely. Uh, I'm with you. It was a little, uh, it was a little surprising. Let's get the Struds on now. Brought to you by GS Construction. Uh, they are still hiring because they got lots of work to do. If you're looking for a great gig with a great company, great benefits, go to Indeed.com and look up GS Construction. <laughs> The Jason Greger Show presents Struds On Dancing. Back in my prime, like, I'm mixing up. I'm dancing on the dance floor. You hear Michael Jackson, you know, play a little beat it. I'm sliding all over there. I'm looking like uh, could be on solid gold. Boone Jenner. Like Nolan Ryan, I grabbed. Uh, who did he grab? Was it Boone Jenner? Just came up business? Not Boone Jenner. Oh, Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura. Yeah, Boone Jenner. I don't think yeah, he was Boone Jenner is playing for the Blue Jackets, not the White Sox. But he was that good. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking. Do we lose Ray? She's. Spe- I've never heard him speechless. Speechless. What? Oh. Speechless. <laughs> speechless. The Willie Nylander Award nominees. Three pretty good ones this week, boys. This might be our best uh, threesome we've ever had. It's time for Struds On. Open season. Everyone getting touches. So when you when you look at the situation with Ken Holland, it's last year of his contract going in. He was asked about it today, and I thought it was his answer was interesting, specifically when it came to Steve Stales. He talked about how Steve came in as a director of uh, player development and how now he needs to get him more more touches, right, in, in different areas, whether it's watching games or um, just involved, you know, whether it's trades or whatever, and just kind of add more and more to his plate. And he, he, he kind of compared him to what Sean Horkoff had, uh, the process he'd been through with uh, with Detroit. And, you know, and I, I think that it's, it's important, I believe, in functional organizations that I've been in or I've heard of, where there's a kind of a collaborative approach where, you know, everyone has their job, but there are times where it's all hands on deck and everyone's kind of got to lend their expertise or lend their ear or, or, or lend their opinion to a situation. Um, you know, the good the good GMs that I saw were ones that were, you know, they'd listen to other people's opinions and then obviously they, it's their decision at the end whether to sign or trade a player or whatever it is. But you also want to bring the best people you can into an organization. So I look at Steve Stales. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that guy. I played with him in three different teams. Three. We played in the minors together. We played in uh, Vancouver together. Then we played with the Oilers. So I've, I've played with this guy three times. Uh, I saw how hard he worked to get to where he was. And then he, 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 he doesn't play anymore. Then he gets into um, some player development with Toronto. Then he, he, he goes a little bit of coaching. Then he heads over and uh, runs his junior team. And that gets that team on track. And now he's here. He's, he has worked and earned his way up. This isn't a guy that just calls up and says, hey, man. I want to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be whatever, assistant coach. He has earned his place at the table. And quite honestly, Gracie did it as a, as a, as a player as well. So, you know, I don't I don't know that it's, you know, Frank Servalli reported that he might jump in. I, I don't know. I, and, and honestly, to me, that's that really is irrelevant. But what they've done, they've added another youngish guy who's still in touch with, like you think about Steve Stales, he's not that far removed from playing, but he's also just worked with a bunch of young players. 18, 19, 17, 20 year old players. So he's he's relatable to those guys and they're coming up. So 
I, I again, I don't know what Steve's role is going to be, but I think that you know you want to have that voice at the table, someone who has recently worked with young players, and what he can and and what they are thinking, how they're feeling, and what he knows about them. Well, you know, the the orders for a few years had a relatively thin staff compared to some other teams, but you know, you, you add in Steos, they've added a few other people recently. Their, their staff's not that thin anymore, so um, you know, it like Keith Gretzky has the most experience of any of their assistant GMs, right? He, he has the most experience. So, and I think he was interviewed by Pittsburgh. I got to double check that, but I thought he might have been so um, for their GM job. And when, when I look at, you know, Steve Steos obviously has some experience at the American League level. He wants to work at it. There's no question about it. Um, you heard Ken Holland say, hey, if you want to be an, e- an AGM, what's the main thing? you got to get out there. You're watching games, right? Like Ken Holland went through the whole process. He started as a scout and worked his way up. I think he knows what the proper trajectory is. He talked about guys like Pat Verbeek. Like look at how many years Pat Verbeek was an assistant assistant GM scout, whatever, when he was with Detroit. Then he went to Tampa with Steve Eiserman. Then he ends up as the GM in Anaheim. Right? Same, Steve Eiserman didn't just step in one year and, boom, he got a GM job. Right? Joe Sackick's probably the one guy who had spent the least amount of time, spent some time. He also had guys working with him, and I think Joe Sackick has proven, hey, it worked out for him. He was ultra patient. People ripped on him for waiting and waiting <laughs> to make the trade, and then when he made the trade, he crushed it. So um, I, I, it's hard to question him. So, you know, it would if, if you're bringing a guy in and giving him more experience, makes total sense. To, to put him right in the GM chair would be, I think, um, probably a big risk. doesn't mean they can't have success. It would just be a risk, right? So why not have him learning as an AGM first? It makes way more sense. Yeah, like the trajectory that Steve Sales is on, it's one that is, you know, it's the proper way to do it. And, um, you know, is he going to be a GM? I, I hope so. I mean, but without the experience he's having, he has nothing to fall back on. Um, I remember, like, Kelly Buckberger telling me that when, when Steve Eisenman retired, he was he was going to games all the time. He was driving down watching people play in the minors. Like, yeah. like this is Steve Eisenman? Like, the, the, one of the greatest players of all time was hustling his ass off, watching and learning, and that's the process. And, and quite honestly, you know, Ken Holland's done a pretty good job uh, you know, creating some pretty good people off of him, right? That have worked. Not that's unfair to say, but people who've who've kind of worked underneath Ken. Some of these guys moved on to other to other to do some good things. So there's a process there, and, and Ken understands it. And I, I, you know, Ken is gonna he he's has a legacy already. But he he talked about today he wants to feel that Stanley Cup feeling again. I get that, but also you want to leave an organization in good shape. So whether he's done after next year, he's got another year, whatever he's it, – it's, to me, he's, I get the sense he wants to leave in the best shape possible moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And I think that includes Steve. Yeah, you hey, you want to give the – you know, you can be selfish and just go all in. It doesn't mean he's not going to go all in. I think he's, he's made some significant moves the last few years, and I would expect another significant move at the deadline uh, if they felt it's necessary. But at the same time, by leaving an organization in good hands means there's other competent people to replace you. That's arguably exactly. maybe more important than leaving them just with draft picks. Let's get to the con man and a sports center update brought to you by the Edmonton Police Service. They're hiring a rewarding career with over 100 different roles. Discover your policing career. Visit newepsrecruits.ca. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 